Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is T. Susan Chang. Susie Chang is the author of Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, and A Spoonful of Promises, Recipes and Stories from a Well-Tempered Life. With Mel Moline, she hosts the Fortune's Wheelhouse Esoteric Tarot Podcast, which explores imagery and symbolism in tarot. And the podcast companion book, The Fortune's Wheelhouse Guide to Esoteric Tarot, is forthcoming from Llewellyn in late 2020. She's the creator of the Arcana case for tarot decks, along with her line of zodiacal and esoteric perfumes. She reads tarot in person at In Spirit Crystals in Northampton, Massachusetts, and at The Living Tarot, an online tarot course for all levels of reader experience. She also works sporadically as a cookbook reviewer and teaches writing about the senses to undergraduates at Smith College. Welcome to the show, Susie. Hi, Sarah. Great to talk with you. Thanks. So glad you're here. Susie, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Silence. I need absolute silence. Um, And preferably, um, I I like to write mostly in my own office. I don't need things to be perfect. I think as an as a writer, you know, the minute you start writing, everything starts to be uncomfortable and very painful and, you know, and suddenly you're itchy and, <laughs> you know, and you're cold. So you can't have everything perfect because I think what that's just a symptom of your uh, your writing faculties coming online. You start to observe things everywhere. So you try to make yourself reasonably comfortable, but not go overboard. So for me, that means um, reasonable silence or being in a place where I can tune out the music. I can't, I can't write with music with lyrics on because my, my writing process is very auditory. Um, and having some tea, that helps a lot um, because that sort of takes away. Every time I feel like I'm uncomfortable, I drink some tea and I feel better. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that um, one thing I, I, I've started realizing is that mental preparation is actually very helpful. I think I've noticed lately that I write a lot more effectively if I meditate for five or 10 minutes first, just to clear stuff out. 
And even I might do that again later on if I've been writing all day, um, clearing stuff out and just taking a few minutes to release all the voices, <laughs> all the critical voices. Uh, so I can start with a blank slate seems to help a lot too. Why do you write? Hmm. That's a really good question. I don't know how most people cope with writing, but my impression is that we all kind of hate it at some level <laughs> because it's really hard. Yeah. Um, it's just so much, uh, it's just painful to write. In fact, there's a, a, a tarot card um, known as the Nine of Swords, which I associate with writers because it shows a person sitting up in bed with nine swords hanging over their head and they've got their head in their hands. And that's writing for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just so many thoughts poking around in your head, making you uncomfortable. So um, I write, I think, because... You know, I've I've come to terms with it over the years. It is a gift of mine. It's something I'm able to do. And, you know, once you've tried all the other things, <laughs> it kind of comes down to working with what you've got. So, you know, if I'm going to produce anything in this world, it's going to be written. Um, I think that writing helps me to understand what I'm thinking about. I mean, I, I literally can't know what I'm thinking without writing about it. So... I think the um, practice of writing is a very fundamental form of self-expression for me. I've kept a diary since I was 10 every day. And it's, it's, I don't know who I am if I'm not writing. So I would say it's basically a necessity, but not in the sense of, you know, a passionate necessity, like I must write, but a sort of biological necessity. What are your best writing tips? I would say the first one, which which everybody I'm sure knows, but which bears reiterating nevertheless, is just to start writing and not censor yourself at all. I think that's the hardest thing to get through. And when I was beginning as a writer, I remember that I really, really, really would have trouble with that because the editor was so strong. I had been an editor for a decade before becoming a writer and I couldn't read anything I wrote without immediately tearing it to shreds. So it took, you know, it took a few years of psyching myself up basically and sitting down and I would literally just write self affirmations for half an hour saying, you know, you're not an idiot. <laughs> you can do this. It doesn't matter if you fail, you know, that kind of a thing over and over until I could get to the point where I could write something and not chop it to pieces the second it was born. So um, so definitely everyone has to have a practice where they allow themselves to generate um, and, and not edit till later. I think that's, that's really critical. I think it's really important to have a routine to, to write, even if you don't feel like it, because as I said, writing is not comfortable. It's not usually fun. Every once in a while you get a freebie. <laughs> But um, but for the most part, it's a discipline and it does get easier if you just do it. I've noticed that there are, probably this is different for everyone, but I've noticed that there are certain points in the writing process that are always hard. Um, for example, for me, it's always in the beginning. Getting started is hard. The first sentence is hard. There's a real um, tendency between sentence one and sentence two to say, 
hey, you know, I've accomplished something. I'm going to go read my email or check my Facebook now, you know, and that can be that comes again after every paragraph. <laughs> and I think, you know, for me, I've just learned to ignore it and just keep going. And maybe after maybe after I've gotten a few hundred words down, then I can have a reward. Uh, I do work a lot with carrots and sticks. <laughs> I think those are good for people. Um, you know, if you know what your carrots and sticks are, and as long as you don't end up just lying in like a trough full of carrots all day <laughs> or beating yourself with sticks all day. You know, I think it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think there are a couple of different ways of doing it. I think an excellent way is to just get up and walk around, move around, go outside shake your um, head up a little bit. You can even, if you're working on a laptop, move your laptop to a different room. I think we store a lot of stagnancy in our bodies. Um, and, you know, if you've ever, this is also true when you're dreaming, for example, if you're stuck in a bad dream or a nightmare, all you have to do is change your body position and you won't return to it. So, so, so writing's like that. I mean, it, we're literally like a jar of salad dressing. All you have to do is shake us up and, and you'll get something different. <laughs> and uh, let's see what else. Um, as I said, meditating, definitely to, you know, just get rid of stuff. Um, also good to kind of sleep on it. You know, if you're, if you're stuck with something really intractable, if you think about it last thing before you go to sleep and then just, you know, let it, let it go. Um, very often it'll come back to you. The solution will come back to you in the morning. So I, I, I definitely feel like, you know, the mind is a mystery in a black box and you have to kind of play by its rules, but you don't really know what they are. So <laughs> you have to kind of let it go do its own thing and, uh, and give it space to work. What about editing and revising tips? Yeah. Um, I love editing and revising because that's the easy part. Um, what I will do is give it some time. Um, the more time, the better, because it's so easy to, um, if you, if you try to edit the minute after you finish something, you're still using the same brain <laughs> and, and that brain mm -hmm. is very attached to what you just wrote. So I, I think it's good to let a day go by, let a couple days go by if you can. And if it's still hard, to cut things out because you should always be cutting things out. Um, you know, it's never, it's never right the first time. Um, mm -hmm. If it's still hard, what I do, and a lot of other writers do this, I think, is you take your precious darlings and you, anything you have to cut out, you just put in a separate file. So it's not gone. <laughs> It's not that you will ever look at it again. You won't. It's gone forever, essentially. But the feeling that it's not absolutely destroyed by the delete key is enough to kind of allow you to uh, detach, I think. <laughs> Can you estimate your submission to publication ratio? Well, for me, it's kind of different because I mostly write books. Um, so it would be different you know, I, I listened to your wonderful interview with a poet last time. And, you know, with poetry, you should be sub submitting constantly and 
probably getting rejected all the time. For me, it's a little bit different. Um, there was more like that when I was a journalist, when I was submitting articles and mm. whatnot. Yeah. And I have a pretty good track record because I don't really submit until I'm pretty sure that I have a chance of publishing. So, you know, I probably, you know, right now my ratio for books, I just don't do that many pitches. So it's like two or three to one, you know, I, I'll get accepted one out of two or one out of three times, but I'm pretty careful about what I submit. And also once you have a relationship with an editor, it's really different, right? You know, mm. it's like, they'll kind of work with you and say, well, could you do this instead? Or, you know, it's like, it's more of a conversation than a strict pitch situation. But the other thing is that, you know, I'm also constantly publishing on my blog. Uh, right now I'm doing this thing where I'm writing a post every 10 days based on based on an, an astrological thing that happens every 10 days. So, you know, we change zodiac signs every month. We change astrological decans every 10 days. So I'm doing this thing where I study the corresponding tarot card every 10 days. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to publish that don't involve a um, middleman or a, a gatekeeper. And I'm a huge fan of those. I also have, you know, I also believe in self-publishing. You know, there's a book that I'm going to be doing when I'm done with all these blog posts, which I don't really think is particularly conventionally marketable. So I'll probably just sub self-publish it myself. And, you know, I, I don't have any sort of hangups about that. I think we live in a kind of a golden age of publishing. And I don't think anyone should be dissuaded from getting their voice out there just because some mediums are more hard to get in than others, because there's so many ways to do it now. Who are some other women writers that we should be reading right now? You know, when I when I saw that you were asking that question, I started thinking about it. And I realized that Ever started I ever since I started working in occult studies, I've been reading mostly men for nonfiction, which is really depressing. But I still read for fun. I read almost exclusively women. It's a really weird thing. So hmm. you know, because well, I mean, it's not surprising in the field I'm in right now. It's extremely male dominated. It's just has been for millennia. I'm hoping that's changing a little bit. But um, but in terms of inspiration. I really like reading both speculative fiction and poetry by women. And so I just thought I'd mention a couple of poems and women poets that have really inspired me over the years, particularly um, in the context of the writing teaching I do. So um, teaching writing has mostly been centered on writing about food and this newer course that I teach at Smith, writing about the senses. And I have, in the context of those courses, become really attached to a set of poems by a poet named Lorna Crozier. I think she's Canadian. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, and she is, she, she wrote this fantastic set of poems called um, The Sex Lives of Vegetables. And they're these just unbelievably vivid, entertaining, um, sensual poems about cauliflower and potatoes and peas and, you know, the extremely eroticized and 
you know, quite filthy, really, but I love them. <laughs> so that's one. And then, and then there's just one poem, which, you know, I don't know this poet very well, but I know that she's quite success successful. And this is Jane Hirschfield. And there's a poem which I read every year, which I absolutely love called um, Spell to be Said After Illness. And there was something about that poem which just really spoke to me, the the idea that our words are magic, that our senses are the conduit for magic, and that, you know, with every utterance, we are creating a world around us. And where can listeners find you online? Um, lots of places. Right now, my primary sort of online presence is on my website, www.tsusanchang.com. And I'm also, um, let's see, my podcast is at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And I also sell stuff. Um, so Hmm. I'm trying to think what your <laughs> listeners would be interested in. It's fairly tarot oriented, but in case anybody really would like to know what their astrological sign smells like, I, I sell these Zodiac perfumes, which are a lot of fun. So that's at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. Susie, would you read some of your work for us now? Yeah. Okay. So this is probably less writerly than the kind of excerpts that you usually get on your show. But it's an excerpt, a couple of excerpts from my tarot correspondences book. And it's meaningful to me because I've been, you know, thinking for the last several years quite a bit about what magic really means in the modern in, in a, you know, from a modern day mindset, what it really means for us to connect with our own personal magic. Um, so what I have here is a little excerpt on what is divination and what is magic. So divination, of course, being the art of getting information that cannot be gotten by ordinary means, uh, and which tarot, of course, is a form of divination. Okay, so... Much of the rest of it will be explained in the excerpt, so I guess I should just dive in. Divination and magic are kissing cousins. It's as if we go to the same place to do different work. If it's a library, then the diviner is the kind of reader who goes there to browse and read and hunt for information, knowledge for its own sake. The magician is the patron who takes out books as a tool, knowledge as a weapon, and a utensil for creating change. If it's a garden, the diviner tells you when and where to plant and what pests you must deter. The magician plants the seed and harvests the crop when it has grown to maturity. Now, if I had to choose a single metaphor to describe the place where both divination and magic occur, I'd call it the backstage of reality. Reality's blueprint, its map, or its foundation. When you do a reading, you have a look at the map, you figure out where you're going, what's the best route between point A and point B, whether point B is really where you want to go in the first place and what obstacles you're likely to face in getting there. Now, when you do magic, you redraw the map so that point A is now a short hop from point B rather than a three-day slog. Now, you can see how each 
magic and divination can benefit from the other. What good does it do the magician to take a shortcut if the destination turns out to be a terrible place to be? What good does it do the diviner to have the perfect plan if action does not follow? Neither fate nor free will completely rules our lives. So if you think of yourself mainly as a diviner, never forget the magic, which is essentially the power to change your path, is always available to you. And if you are a magician, never forget that divination, which is essentially the power of navigation, is a vital part of every shortcut. Now, as a magician, you don't stop at answers. In tarot, you might invite the empress to take charge of your affairs. You call on her on her day, at her hour, in her dignity and with her tokens, and you ask her for her help, please, in bringing love or peace or wealth into your life. And then you thank her. Leave the room and close the door behind you. And you don't look back. Now, in reality, what does this kind of magic look like? Do you wave a wand and exclaim, Alohomora, and the door before you magically unlocks? Do you rub a dodgy-looking lamp and state your demands to whatever comes out of it? No. With all due respect to the creators of these and other fictions, who are magicians in their own right, that's not what we're talking about. Magic of the sort we're talking about is sometimes called probability enhancement. It's likely to manifest in the form of coincidences, synchronicities, and plausible strokes of luck. Say you're trying to get home late at night and you're out of cash and you find a $10 bill that's just enough for cab fare right there on the sidewalk. Or you're job hunting and you happen to run into an old friend who knows someone who knows someone who's hiring. Or you're madly searching the house for your keys and you shout out loud to no one in particular, where are my damn keys? And there they are right in front of you in a spot you searched five times before. Real magic is fate masquerading as chance, and it's happening all around you, all the time. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Sarah. It's been good to talk to you. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Susie's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Here's Susie with your writing prompt. Okay, so this writing prompt is one that I give my students at Smith College in the writing about the census class. It's a lot of fun, um, and I will often do it with them because I enjoy doing it. This involves not only setting your timer to write, but first setting an alarm. So what you're going to do is you're going to set an alarm for a random time of day when you're not normally thinking about writing. Um, for my kids, I usually do 8.42 p.m. They're usually socializing or reading or studying or sitting in bed or something, uh, watching TV. But what I ask you to do is set the alarm. And then when it goes off, you'll have completely forgotten about the fact that you were going to write. But now you're going to sit down and do it. So when that alarm goes off, you turn everything off for a moment and you just check in with each of your senses. So that means what are you looking at? What are you hearing? 
What are you smelling? What are you tasting? And what are you feeling or touching with your skin? What textures can you pick up? Just a sentence or two for each. You can do more if you like. But it's a fascinating way of suddenly putting yourself in touch with your surroundings and realizing that you live in this wonderfully vivid world at all times, even the times you don't think of yourself as a writer. Isn't Susie Chang just delightful? I love how she kept making herself laugh during our interview. I was interested in talking to Susie because a few years ago, I read her book, Spoonful of Promises, which is a collection of stories and recipes. When I learned that she made a shift and started pursuing her interest in the tarot, I was so impressed at her bravery to change focus and do something different. I feel like Susie gives me permission, all of us permission, really, to do that as well, to turn toward whatever interests us and follow our curiosity. What really struck me about this interview was when Susie said that when she really was having a hard time getting started, that she would write herself affirmations for a whole half an hour sometimes until she was able to quiet the inner critic. If you find yourself stuck soon, I hope you try this trick of hers. I'll try it too. I have openings for two new writing coaching clients starting in March. Usually, when clients come to me, they haven't been writing in a while and want to get back into it, or they want support and an editor for some pieces that they're preparing for submission. Does that sound like you? Send me a message and we'll talk about how I can help. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and you've been listening to Fierce Women Writing. Tune in next Thursday when we'll be hearing from poet Isabel Y. Gonzalez. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Fierce Women Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.